Hello, and welcome to the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast, brought to you by North Carolina Sustainable Energy Association. I'm your host, Ben Stockdale. Hello, squeaky clean listeners, and welcome to the 29th episode of the show that brings you the latest in clean energy right to your ears. As you may know, the North Carolina General Assembly kicked off the 2020 short legislative session on April 28th, and although their work has primarily focused on matters related to COVID response and recovery, we at NCSEA thought it would be a good time to provide updates and insight on clean energy policy developments that are ongoing in the state. As such, we brought in one of the top advocates for clean energy policy in the state to make sure that you are up to speed on the major trends and storylines for our growing industry. And before we get started today, I wanted to share some exciting news from NCSEA. Over the course of the next six months, NCSEA will be offering a monthly webinar series called Making Energy Work, featuring varying topics in clean energy from finance to policy and market insights. Join hundreds of attendees from across the country to get the latest scoop on trending clean energy topics sweeping the industry. Each webinar will feature nationally and regionally renowned experts within their respective fields to help shape the conversations driving clean energy forward in North Carolina and across the country. As a benefit to our members, stakeholders, supporters, and squeaky clean listeners, NCSEA will be offering each of these webinars free of charge. The first webinar is on Tuesday, June 9th at 3 p.m., and we'll be discussing trends and updates on utility regulatory reform. So don't miss these awesome opportunities to learn more and engage with top clean energy leaders from across North Carolina and nationally. To learn more and register for these webinars, visit makingenergywork.com. And we want to give a special shout out today to our featured NCSEA business member, Southern Current. Okay, well, we are ready to jump into this conversation with a top clean energy policy leader in North Carolina. So let's do it. Clean energy. Our guest today is a top clean energy advocate and lobbyist who has been working to advance North Carolina's clean energy economy for more than a decade. Our guest is a native North Carolinian who has worked on Capitol Hill for members of Congress, and after seven years of working in our nation's capital, she returned home to work in our state's capital, and in 2008 started working for NCSEA to advance clean energy in North Carolina. In 2013, she launched the Robinson Consulting Group, where she has been working since as a lobbyist and advocate for clean energy policy in her home state. She lives in Durham with her husband and two children, and we are so excited to have her on the show today. Friends of the pod, let's give a squeaky clean welcome to today's very special guest, Julie Robinson. Julie, welcome to the pod. Thanks, Ben. Great to be with you. 
Yes, great to have you on the show. Julie has been such an important person in my life to have really shown me the ropes of the legislature and clean energy. We worked very closely together during the 2019 long legislative session. So when I was thinking about who can talk to all things clean energy policy in North Carolina, you're at the very top of my list. So thanks so much for joining us today. And I am very excited about this conversation. <laughs> you are too kind. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's do this. Okay, so Julie, can you give us a little bit of your background, maybe how you got into clean energy and what you do to advance North Carolina's clean energy economy? Yeah, sure. Um, it's kind of a Funny, odd story, but I'm I'm so glad you know my life has kind of played out the way it has <laughs> over the years. Um, how I got into clean energy, um, kind of by chance, uh, like with a lot of jobs, you know, through a friend of a friend connection, um, who just happened to also know Ivan Erlob, NCSEA's longtime executive director, of course, um, way back in the summer of 2008, which. You know, it seems like eons ago, but, you know, it all <laughs> seems like it's gone so fast. Um, so NCSEA was hiring a marketing communications director, um, which back then was, you know, kind of the focus of kind of the first half of my career. I um, was lucky enough to, to get that job with NCSEA. And um, then, you know, over the, the next six months or so, Realized that, you know, I really missed the policy discussions, the policy work, interaction with legislators and elected officials. So, you know, I convinced NCSEA to broaden or, you know, expand my job into what became um, NCSEA's Director of Government Affairs. Um, so, you know, that's how I got into clean energy. Um, Again, kind of the summer of 2008. Um, before that, I um, after I went to Carolina, I, um, like so many young kids do, right out of college, moved to Washington, D.C., had, you know, great opportunities to work with, you know, different, several different amazing, great members of the U.S. House and the U.S. Senate, um, got the chance to work on some, you know, congressional campaigns, um, so got the D.C., again, kind of comms-focused experience, and then I moved back to North Carolina at the end of 2003, um, when I then worked at the General Assembly for a couple of years. Um, so, you know, my my career over the years has had, you know, a lot of uh, communications, media relations focus, um, and then over the last 12 years, you know, I had a great opportunity to really hone in and, and focus on, you know, the, the one very big topic of clean energy. Um, but I say all of that because I think, you know, yeah, I'm a lobbyist, I'm a consultant, I've got comms experience in my background, but, you know, I think at the heart of it all, it's, you know, being a storyteller. Um, and I, I think that's kind of how I describe, you know, what I do on a daily basis, describing issues that um, sometimes can be really technical, um, clean energy policy issues, but, you know, 
drilling it down to, you know, kind of a local personal story um, about what's going on in, you know, a legislator's district and how it impacts their constituents. Wow, that's really powerful. And and also that's what makes you so good at what you do because it is absolutely about storytelling and communicating the value of clean energy to legislators and stakeholders and leaders. So that kind of brings me to my next question, which references a recent episode that we did with Susan Monroe of Chambers for Innovation and Clean Energy. And in the episode, she highlighted how North Carolina is unique and its strong bipartisan support for clean energy and how that has allowed us to pass legislation like Senate Bill 3 in 2007, which established the Renewable Energy Portfolio Standard and the Energy Efficiency Portfolio Standard, and then House Bill 589 in 2017, which opened the door for several different clean energy programs, all the way to the 2019 long legislative session, where you and I worked together to help pass important EV charging legislation. So we have a long arc and a history of legislation that's gotten support from both sides of the aisle. But I'm wondering how you have seen the politics of clean energy change over time. And if you could talk a little bit about that bipartisan support that North Carolina has really become known for in the clean energy space. Yeah, sure. And I, you know, absolutely adore Susan Monroe and <laughs> yes. the local chambers of commerce executives and their board members across, you know, all across North Carolina, um, you know, they're a perfect example of, you know, some of the economic developers that have, you know, spoken out about their support of clean energy um, because they've seen it firsthand in sure. their communities. Um, and, you know, I, I think they're a perfect example of, you know, some of the people that, you know, 10 or 12 years ago, it was NCSEA or some of the, you know, early clean energy businesses in North Carolina that were just really getting off the ground um, as the industry, you know, just started to grow after, you know, the Renewable Energy and Efficiency Portfolio Standard, the REPS Law, and some of those early or clean energy programs got off the ground. Um so, you know, with the economic developers, like I said, you know, their their number one job is to create new jobs and new business opportunities and, you know, generate new tax revenues to keep their local economy strong and keep growing. Um, you know, and over the last decade, they've seen clean energy as a huge success story in their areas. So it's it's been, you know... Groups like Chambers for Innovation and Clean Energy and those local chambers and economic developers across North Carolina who have seen it firsthand and then who are willing to, you know, partner with groups like NCSEA and, and others, local elected officials, local legislators to say, hey, this is working in our areas, especially in rural North Carolina. Let's keep doing it. So it's, you know, stories from the non-clean energy people like the local chambers that have really helped to build that bipartisan, stronger support amongst Republicans and Democrats 
in the North Carolina General Assembly, in the U.S. Congress, local elected officials, and so on. But it takes a lot of work. You know, it has not been easy by any means. And the work, you know, continues every day, you know, even during, you know, a situation like COVID. Sure, sure. And let's let's talk a little bit about COVID because, of course, the current crisis we find ourselves in with COVID-19 has presented challenges to the clean energy industry in North Carolina, but also it presents an opportunity for North Carolina's clean energy industry to play a large part in our state's economic recovery on the whole. You know, you're seeing legislators and leaders really trying to come up with economic solutions and catalysts to get the economy up and running again, especially as we start to reopen our state. So can you talk about how you've seen COVID-19 affecting the clean energy industry and maybe about that opportunity that clean energy has to be part of our state's economic recovery? Yeah, absolutely. I started with NCSEA right as our state and our country was heading into the you know recession of 2008-2009. Um, and at that point, probably not as severe of an economic downturn back then as we're seeing now with, with COVID. But back in 2008, 2009, 2010, clean energy was growing rapidly. You know, businesses were expanding. New businesses were, you know, popping up on a regular basis. Um, New renewable energy projects, especially solar projects, were being built all across the state. Um, So I see, you know, some similarities from a decade ago that I think, you know, we're also starting to see play out a little bit now. Um, You know, I... With the clean energy companies that I've talked with, you know, over the last four to six weeks, um, you know, they're being impacted like almost every other business in North Carolina and across the country, um, just because so much of our daily lives, our economy, just daily business activities are facing, you know, so much uncertainty or just being put on hold as we wait for, you know, COVID cases to decline and more testing and hopefully a vaccine um, is on the horizon. But I think the silver lining, if there is one, is that all of us expect our lights to come on and our power to work, especially now as we're all working in different ways. Kids are learning from home. And it just, you know, again, really stresses the importance of, you know, our power and energy markets. Um, And I think also with COVID, we're all paying more attention to our monthly bills. So people, I think, are starting to, you know, pay more attention, wanting to become more energy efficient. You know, homeowners or business owners, they be more inclined now or in the coming months to install their own solar so they can, you know, take more control over, you know, the power that they're generating, the bills that they're paying, things like that. So, You know, I think in that respect, there may even be, you know, more opportunities eventually for clean energy in North Carolina. Um, You know, and these businesses and these projects that are being built and generating property taxes are located all across North Carolina. 
Um, I think clean energy does have an important role to play in economic recovery that hopefully will get started very quickly in North Carolina. Absolutely. Absolutely. And as people are taking a closer look at their energy consumption and where it's being sourced from and how they can become more energy efficient, there are also many different clean energy developments in North Carolina that are progressing simultaneously. You have the North Carolina Clean Energy Plan, which we've talked about before on this show, and the stakeholder processes that are coming from that. You have the Zero Emissions Vehicle Plan, the Volkswagen Settlement Funds, which we talked about in the last episode, as well as things like our emerging offshore wind industry, and of course, the ongoing developments at the General Assembly and the North Carolina Utilities Commission. So with all of these things happening and people becoming more aware of their energy usage, what are you seeing as some of the more promising developments that might spur strong economic development for our clean energy industry? <laughs> wow, just you reading through that list. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's, it's kind of like my to-do list, honestly. There's a lot of stuff happening right now. <laughs> yes, uh, it makes my head hurt a little bit. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it is... All of those topics, all of those discussions, all of those different, you know, convenings of stakeholder groups is so important because I think, you know, across the board, everybody recognizes how much energy sources and utilities and, you know, market structures have changed and the technologies have changed so quickly over the last five, 10 years. Um, So I think there's, you know, a recognition by everyone across the board, you know, obviously looking, you know, at it from different perspectives, but I think everybody or almost everybody recognizes that all of those different discussions and topics need to be discussed, but it's a lot. And, you know, I I think everyone really needs to, to... keep the customer perspective, um, you know, front of mind in all of those conversations because they are, you know, difficult, very complex discussions and conversations to have. Um, But, you know, from the homeowners to business owners, manufacturers, some of our state's largest employers in the corporate world, schools, military, you know, energy impacts each and every one of us. Um, And I think, you know, figuring out what comes next and how we can go about updating, changing, modernizing North Carolina's monopoly controlled energy market that's been in place for over 100 years and, you know, realizing the new opportunities that we have with these technologies and cheaper cost cleaner energy sources that not only have, you know, economic benefit, but also, you know, health benefits as well. You know, there's so many exciting opportunities, but again, it's not easy. And, you know, I I really hope that more customers, more average North Carolinians become more engaged in, you know, speaking up and demanding more and quicker action. Um, and hopefully, you know, 
we've had a lot of really strong clean energy policies passed in North Carolina and programs created in North Carolina over the last 10 or 15 years. Some have worked better than others, but we've got to get it right. Um, because, you know, even before COVID um, and the economic situation that we're dealing with now, you know, it impacts each and every one of us. Um, and I just really hope that more customers engage in these discussions and stress the importance to their legislators, to the governor, to the utilities commissioners, and everybody that this is a very important issue that, you know, we've got to get work done on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Getting that engagement from the communities and the constituents is so important. We definitely saw that during the last long legislative session when we were issuing our action alerts and making sure that people were updated on policy. So I definitely agree with you that getting folks, you know, listeners engaged in North Carolina's clean energy policy advocacy work, I think is, is really important. So you're on the front lines there communicating these messages to legislators and leaders about the importance of clean energy, but also about what you were mentioning earlier, which is doing some of that storytelling. And even sometimes I know you do a lot of facilitating so that you're putting the right people in front of the legislators to tell those stories. So what do you think the most effective communication strategies for legislators are when trying to raise support for clean energy and maybe if there are any stories you could shed light on that have shown you the importance of storytelling through clean energy. Absolutely. Two ways I'll answer that. You know, one, over the years, having worked for so many different elected officials, I had a front row seat then of seeing just how busy elected officials in D.C. and, you know, so-called part-time legislators in North Carolina's General Assembly are. Um, you know, they've got so many issues on their plate, um, so many problems that they're trying to solve each and every day. Um, so I think anyone interacting with any elected official definitely have to keep in mind, you know, when you're talking with, you know, legislators about an issue, you have to be short, sweet, to the point, you know, as, as short and simple as possible. But legislators pay attention to issues that impact their districts and their constituents. You know, that's, they have to prioritize. Otherwise, they'll just be bombarded every day with, you know, so many other issues on that long, long laundry list of issues. Um, and, you know, I'll also say with lobbying today versus when I started lobbying on clean energy issues back in 2008, 2009, the stories and the success, you know, stats that we have to share today was vastly different from way back then. We have so many, you know, success stories and people involved with clean energy, whether it's businesses or those local economic developers or landowners. Um, so many of those very local district specific stories to share with legislators now. Um, and, and sharing, you know, those very local stories 
I think has been a huge reason that we've been able to increase the bipartisan support amongst Republicans and Democrats um, here in North Carolina over the years. Um, but, you know, introducing, you know, one legislator to a business building a solar project in their district may, you know, lock them in as a strong supporter of clean energy, whereas another legislator may need to meet, you know, three landowners or hear a story about, you know, uh, one of my favorite stories um, from a couple of years ago was a state senator's, uh, a state senator whose church had made the decision to lease a neighboring property for a solar project. Um, you know, so when he shared that story with me, he was like, I get it. And I'm seeing firsthand how my church, you know, can make use of an unused property and bring in extra money for our church and the services and, and programs that, that we offer. Um, you know, some other legislators, you know, the, the formers, the legislators who, before they ran for the General Assembly, that were local school board members or local county commissioners are some of our strongest supporters of clean energy now because back in their previous jobs, they had a front row seat to see the much needed property taxes being generated by solar projects, for example. Um, so it's just, you know, figuring out legislator by legislator what what can drive a positive impact via clean energy in their district? What is their personal backgrounds? You know, do they really focus in on the local property taxes being generated by solar projects? Or is it the private property rights angle? Um, you know, there, there's so many, luckily, so many great stories to share um, about those positive economic benefits of clean energy in each legislator's district now. Um, you know, it's, it's sometimes, and I love, you know, that we have so much to choose from now. Um, you know, and, and I'll also give a huge shout out to, to NCSEA and just the amount of information and data that they track um, that we're able to, you know, tell any legislator exactly how many renewable energy or energy efficient buildings or EV charging stations are located in their districts. Um, we're able to introduce them to those clean energy businesses and the landowners involved in those projects in each legislator's district. So I think, you know, there's so many stories to share and that's really what legislators want to hear about any issue, clean energy or anything else on their list. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's so awesome that you have this wealth of knowledge and have really seen the, the developments of the clean energy industry because, again, I think having that perspective really allows you to be 
even more effective as a lobbyist, which we know that you very much are. So as we are looking into the future for clean energy, obviously right now is just an unprecedented time that we're all trying to figure out how to navigate. But, you know, you talked about a silver lining with COVID-19. What are you most looking forward to for the future of clean energy in North Carolina? Wow, that's a really good question. <laughs> I mean, I think with with COVID, so much is unknown right now, um, and how long it takes our state to get back to some new normal um, is a huge question mark for all of us. Um, but you know, like I said earlier, I think just the customer engagement on these clean energy issues, as well as, you know, the existing strong clean energy industry and all of the employees with those businesses um, that, you know, already exist in North Carolina. You know, there's, there's so much potential and so much opportunity. Um, It just comes down to, you know, the question of, are we all going to be able to capitalize on those opportunities um, and see the, the benefits that, that clean energy can keep delivering um, in North Carolina? Um, and I think, you know, one of, the, one of the aspects that I've always loved to talk about with North Carolina being, you know, I grew up in North Carolina, went to Carolina, and, you know, I, I love seeing how, you know, unlike most other industries, clean energy is in every county, every region of North Carolina. It's not an urban versus rural issue like so many different business sectors or so many issues break down in. Um, So I think, you know, there's a lot of opportunity for clean energy post-COVID. And, you know, I, I look forward to participating in those conversations and hopefully you know, we can keep moving forward. Definitely. And I, and I think and I know we will continue to move forward because we have organizations like NCSEA. We have people like you leading the policy charge. And I really appreciate the work you do. And of course, I appreciate all of the wisdom you've imparted to me through our time working together. So I want to say thank you for that. But I also want to say thank you for being a guest on the show today. So Julie Robinson, thank you so much for being on the pod. Thanks, Ben. That's all, folks. The 29th episode of the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast, bringing the latest in clean energy right to your ears. If you want to get real-time clean energy updates from Julie Robinson on Twitter, you can follow her at Julie Robinson NC. My key takeaway for this episode is that, as Julie highlighted, we have to continue to tell the story of clean energy to our legislators and policymakers. These are stories of entrepreneurship and economic development in every region in our state, from our bustling downtowns to rural eastern North Carolina. They're stories of families who can keep their family farms thanks to solar, and counties that have been able to fund new projects thanks to the increased property tax revenue that clean energy projects bring. 
Thankfully, North Carolina has quite a story to tell, and we can work together to write that next chapter. Thanks again for joining us on this episode, and make sure you visit makingenergywork.com to register for the free Making Energy Work webinar series that NCSEA is kicking off on June 9th. I hope you are all staying safe and sane out there, and I hope you have a great day.